presents The Lilacs with their first new recording in 25 years. The Lilacs and Door. Four blockbuster hits. Monica. Monica, where are you? Monica. Blue Spark. Get the Lilacs and Door on all streaming platforms and wherever CDs are sold. Pure Chicago Power Pop. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, on, whether you're on the air or on 77 WABC's mobile app, and for everybody listening to it on live stream on WABCradio.com. It is the fourth day of the Biden presidency, America this week witnessed a peaceful, dignified, orderly transition of power. Uh, and we are now 283 days away from the 2021 general election because there's always another election on the horizon. Uh, this is the Olympic gold medal game of New Jersey politics, the election of a governor. Uh, Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill will join me at 515 to talk about Joe Biden's first days in office, uh, his impact uh, on New Jersey, what what will a federal government controlled by the Democratic Party mean to this region and the confirmation of a new U.S. Secretary of Defense? Mikey Sherrill is a rising star in Capitol Hill, and her take on what's happening in Washington is something you are going to want to listen to. And today was supposed to be the first debate of the New Jersey gubernatorial election. It was supposed to be moderated right here on WABC by me. But as is frequently the case in politics, circumstances have changed. And that knockdown, drag-out dogfight for the chance to take on Governor Phil Murphy in November ended last week uh, when one of the major candidates dropped out of the race. And that means... Jack Chitterelli is the presumptive Republican nominee. So instead of a debate today, I'll have an in-depth back and forth with just Mr. Chitterelli about his campaign to unseat Phil Murphy. That's going to come up at 533. Uh, Jack Chitterelli will stay on with me until the end of this show so that we can cover a lot of ground. I'm not going to hold anything back, so please don't miss it. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. And in addition to the races for governor, all 40 state Senate seats and 80 assembly seats are up for grabs this year. Uh, to be clear, there's no chance that Democrats will lose control of either house of the New Jersey legislature. The current map just wasn't drawn to give the Republicans a chance to win. But there's some competitive races. And, and in one district where a longtime incumbent is retiring, a fierce battle to replace her, that's the solidly Democratic Bergen County Senate seat uh, held by Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg. 
two state assembly members from the district, Gordon Johnson, Valerie Huddle, are seeking party support for the Senate. And it took the candidates literally just a few minutes to get into the race after Senator Weinberg announced she wasn't running again. In a little over a week, uh, Assemblyman Johnson has has put together a huge number of endorsements from, from Democratic leaders who vote at the convention that will designate the official choice for mayors in his district. And Assemblywoman Veneri Huddle has gained a, a massive showing of, of endorsements from New Jersey grassroots progressive leaders. And there'll be a, a lot to, to talk about about that race uh, going forward. Uh, so I want to go back in time, uh, not really that long ago, just to, to 1973. Stories about the Watergate scandal were breaking, I guess it was almost daily, and New Jersey Democrats wanted to win back the governor's office. And just after Richard Nixon was reelected, the Democratic state chairman, it was a legendary, uh, wonderful guy named Salvador Bontempo, he put together a list of 25 potential candidates for governor. Bontempo called it his A to W list because it started with Vito Albanese and it ended with Howard Woodson. And Bontempo kept his list in alphabetical order. So second on the list was a Essex County judge named Brendan Byrne. Byrne had become famous in, in New Jersey when he was a prosecutor. Uh, he, there was an investigation into organized crime. It led to the wiretapping of a mobster's telephone. And there was a discussion on that call between the two mobsters about possibly bribing Brendan Burns so that he would cool his heels on that investigation. Uh, one of the mobsters said, forget about it. Brendan Byrne was, these were the mobster's words, Brendan Byrne was a man who couldn't be bought. And and that was quite an you know quite for for Jersey politics quite a, quite an endorsement. So, in the early days of the Watergate era, Democrats recognized that Brendan Byrne was the kind of guy they wanted to run for governor. He was electable, and as a sitting judge, Byrne couldn't travel around the state. He couldn't do the type of meetings with party leaders that 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 every other candidate had been doing. He couldn't court potential donors. So he depended upon a group of his friends to cut the deals needed to be made. Uh, Byrne got in the race just two days before the filing deadline. Two state senators who were in the race, they, they quickly dropped out. They endorsed him. Within a few days, Byrne, the man who couldn't be bought, had secured the endorsements of Democratic Party bosses in, I think it was six counties. Before filing his petitions in Trenton, Byrne walked into Governor Bill Cahill's office. He submitted his resignation as a judge, and then he, he walked out to the governor's outer office, and he held an impromptu press conference. Byrne won the primary by, it was a huge margin. He was, and then in the general election, he was elected by a, a two-to-one landslide. It was, it was more than 700,000 votes. He won 20 of 21 counties. Uh, it helped that 17 days before the election, uh, President Nixon fired the Watergate special prosecutor, Archibald Cox. Uh, for, for, the, for those of, of, the, of the right age, you'll remember that as the Saturday night massacre. So that's, that's a great story about New Jersey politics. And, and I'll be back later to talk with Jack Cittarelli, who, who wants to be the next governor of New Jersey. Uh, I'm David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. 
Up next, my interview with Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill. Some people in New Jersey think that she can be president someday, so you won't want to miss it. Next on 77 WABC. Time is running out, New Jersey. Open enrollment for health insurance ends January 31st. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to compare plans and see if you qualify for financial help. Our local experts can guide you through the enrollment process. This is your chance to find quality, affordable health insurance you can count on. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to get started before it's too late. You must enroll by January 31st for health coverage. Don't delay. Enroll today. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, Actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Mikey Sherrill began her second term as a congresswoman from New Jersey this month, and she's widely viewed in New Jersey and in Washington as a rising star in Democratic politics. Congresswoman, welcome. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, Congresswoman, you attended Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday, and as a as a Democratic congresswoman from a, uh, from a Republican-leaning district, do you think President Biden struck the right tone to bring the nation together? I do. I, um, you know, it was really hard to miss the difference between uh, the former president's inaugural address and Joe Biden's inaugural address. Um, the tone that he struck, he was compassionate. You could tell he wanted to unify the country, but he didn't gloss over the pain. Um, he didn't gloss over what we've been through um, and what we need to do. However, I think he struck a very optimistic, hopeful note. I I have to tell you, listening to him assume the role as president of the United States and then to see the troops pass in review and know he is now our commander in chief as well, um, really was a breath of fresh air to me. And I I thought he did a wonderful job. And he he has done He's been very active in the first couple of days, uh, a lot of executive orders. He promised 100 million vaccine shots over the next 100 days or the first 100 days. Is, is this doable? 
Is that or is that overly optimistic given uh, given where the situation is right now? Well, I, I think this is that can-do American spirit that's been a little missing, quite frankly, from the COVID response. It's it's definitely. I mean, you know, I think that this country, if anybody can do it, we can do it. Um, and he's really implementing the whole of government approach that we've been missing. In the past, the president would make announcements and then tell the states to execute uh, without a lot of support, help, or guidance. Um, I've been asking for um, about, let's see, not quite a year now, for the former president to implement the Defense Production Act. Um, that's what Biden's going to do. He is going to um, use all of our manufacturing capabilities, get these vaccines manufactured and then distributed. He's um, putting out consistent, accurate, reliable public health guidelines. Um, and I, I think we get a sense that he um, really wants to engage as a partner with our state, which has been as I said, really lacking. I mean, one of the, I was just trying to work with Operation Warp Speed last week and trying to get an understanding of, you know, the stockpiles and how much vaccine New Jersey could expect. And, and they're just not transparent. We weren't getting the answers. And I'm really looking forward to working with the Biden team. And will we see another stimulus package, one that includes aid for state local governments? I think so. It's certainly... Um, a number one priority of mine, as you know, uh, with Senator Menendez in the Senate, um, I put forth the Bipartisan SMART Act to get money to our state and local governments. There was a lot of money in the last uh, CARES Act funding that did help our states with vaccines and vaccine distribution and food aid, et cetera. But we really need that direct state and local funding, especially when we're looking at um, how important our first responders and our teachers have been to this effort and making sure that our municipalities have the funds they need to, to keep taking care of people as we get through this. And I'm speaking with Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey. What about the issues that you supported in your, your first term? You know, gun safety, voting rights, campaign finance reform, re- return of the SALT deduction, uh, How optimistic are you that with a Democratic president, Democrats controlling both the House and the Senate, uh, that that those things can become a reality? Um, Well, and I would just add to that list. They said gateway and then we have the state local tax deduction cap, of course. Um, But I'm really optimistic. I uh, I'll tell you, these are things all of all of which we passed through the House of Representatives um, and yet. We consistently hit a roadblock in the Senate, even with some of the priorities that the president, and as you know, the former president would say different things on different days. So it was never quite clear. But some of the stuff that he had interest in, um, you know, McConnell still wouldn't pass it and put it on his desk. So I'm really optimistic that now we can start to address those things that so many Americans care about. Just, you know, universal background checks for gun purchases. Um, closing a boyfriend loophole uh, in VAWA, using the VAWA to close the boyfriend loophole, getting a big infrastructure plan together, which will not only uh, fix some of the decrepit infrastructure we have in this country, but also be a great stimulus as people get back to work and a, a great jobs program. So I'm, I'm really incredibly hopeful um, that a lot of the things that we have already passed in the House, we can reintroduce and get passed in the Senate and signed into law. And, and so, 
Donald Trump is gone, Mitch McConnell no longer uh, deciding the Senate's agenda. If these things don't happen, uh, who who gets the blame for it now? Well, I, I think uh, <laughs> I think it's on us now. I mean, we you know, I think it's really important that we show what Democratic leadership looks like, because, quite frankly, um, when you're talking in my district about. Uh, gun safety legislation, when you're talking about environmental legislation, when you're talking about uh, getting rid of the state and local tax deduction cap, when you're talking about um, supporting the Gateway Tunnel Project, uh, you you know, so many of the things that I fought hard for and passed through the Democratic House are things that people in my district deeply care about. I've asked health care to that list. These are the things we've been working on in the House for two years to get them passed in the Senate and signed into law and start making an impact on people's day-to-day lives, I think would really create um, a sense of um, a, more of a sense of faith in our government, that people see that the government is working for them, that, that we're working to address the critical needs of our districts. And I think it'll have a big impact. But, but certainly um, right now, as, as our, one of our former presidents said, I think it was true when the buck stops here. Um, right, so we really right. have to make sure to execute. And, and you know, I'm speaking with Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill from New Jersey, and and the images of thousands of National Guardsmen who were ordered to vacate the Capitol, they were warehoused in a parking garage, you know, they were disturbing to a lot of people. I, I, I know this has been largely resolved, but as as a veteran, how did that make you feel to see those? Well, David, I, you know, I was just um, speaking to the New Jersey National Guard a couple days ago, and I mentioned something like, because um, I'll admit I'm a little older now than I was when I served, and I said to the command master, and I said, oh, it, it looked tough to be sleeping on the marble because we had troops throughout the Capitol. And he said, I don't know, not many people can say they've slept in the Capitol of the United States. <laughs> so they had a great attitude. They felt incredibly proud of their service. Certainly the pictures, um, we had people working shifts. We were trying to move those shifts. Evidently, I called about this. As soon as I saw the pictures, I was on the phone with House Admin to find out exactly what was going on. And it turns out, I think there were some changes in shifts. And as they were trying to move people into hotel rooms, they were trying to keep them warm as well. But it, it certainly... Um, you know, was not great as we're, we're trying to, we should be taking better care of the people that are taking care of us, certainly. But I will tell you, I've talked to um, my husband, who's a veteran, and I talked to uh, Jason Crow, who's another veteran friend of mine. And both of their responses were largely, man, I've slept in a lot worse places. <laughs> so um, I, I will tell you, I think our, I think our concern for our veteran, our concern for our National Guard troops is warranted. I think we should treat them uh, very, very well because they, they certainly have done an excellent job for us. But I know that in talking to them, um, you know, they kind of laughed about it uh, and said, you know, I think overall the feeling from our National Guard is they're just so incredibly proud to be part of this mission. And, and Congresswoman, you are an Annapolis graduate. You flew helicopters as a U.S. Navy officer. Uh, uh, so now the president's nominee for Secretary of Defense he had to come to you to get a and, and others to get a waiver to serve. So my question, and you voted for it, but how did it? How did you feel about this sudden juxtaposition of authority that that here is an army general coming and and seeking 
seeking your consent on something. It's it's not your typical chain in command in the military. You know, that's a, it's interesting to sort of get into Congress and, um, you know, have a hearing and be questioning and, and sort of in a, a somewhat aggressive way, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the SECDEF, but that's my job now. Um, and I think, of course, our military leaders, you know, no one necessarily wants to face tough questioning, especially from, from Congress and congressional members doing oversight. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, and, and this is something why I think sometimes it's important uh, to have veterans in Congress who sort of understand the ins and outs of our military. You know, I think sometimes military brass, as we call them, come forward and, and might try to intimidate members. Um, but my job is to be a voice for the American people and to, to make sure that we're holding people accountable and we're moving forward and, and that our Department of Defense, and, and we're still, we're, this is a work in pro- progress, is def- you know spending our New Jersey tax dollars responsibly. So, um, so that's, you know, that was sort of something that We've grown into over the last two years. So to talk to General Austin, my real concern um, is why did I need to give him a waiver? Because I regard, and I know General Austin does, um, civilian control of the military is so paramount to what we do in this country. And it's my belief that we don't have rules in place for the best of us. And I tend to think that Joe Biden is a, a compassionate, decent person who believes deeply in our country and our Constitution. I'm not worried that he's going to try to flout our democratic norms. I believe the same about General Austin. But we have some of these rules in place for the worst of us who would try to do all that. And I think we've seen a lot of that over the last four years. So it was very concerning to me that we were going to provide a waiver for the second time, you know, which Often people would say that's a once-in-a-generation thing to provide a waiver for people who have recently served to become the Secretary of Defense. We were going to do that for the second time in a row in two administrations. But I, you know, I think seeing the problems we have with violent extremism and white nationalism in our troops and the real need to root that out and to stand strongly against that with what we've just seen – and I will tell you, unfortunately, there are very few black senior officers in our military, and there are very few senior members of national defense who are black. So it is an important statement, um, an important um, time for him to be standing in that position. Uh, it was a hard vote for me. It was a vote that kind of had two Two things I cared very deeply about, rooting out racism and violent extremism in our military, while at the same time I care very deeply about civilian control of our military. Um, So it was a tough vote, but I think um, part of what was important to me and, and again, stood, was contrary to uh, General Mattis, is I spoke to uh, Secretary Austin Quite a few times, um, he came before a group of us of national security people to talk about his understanding of the Department of Defense and what he would do to ensure that there were high-ranking civilians in place. In fact, I spoke to Kath Hicks, an undersecretary of defense who has uh, um, long served as a civilian in the DoD. Um, I spoke to um, I spoke to General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, just to, 
to, to kind of suss out his take on it and how deeply committed he was um, to civilian control and, and how he would support that mission. And then I spoke several times to Secretary Austin. And, uh, and so I think he's an important pick. I think this is, um, I think we have a lot of work to do not just in our military, but in our nation. And I think he's going to be a great leader um, and help us do that. And, and I have to, Congresswoman, be, I have to be objective, but you do deserve, you deserve some credit as a Navy loyalist for putting the Army in charge of the Pentagon. So, that was the one so. strike against him, David. <laughs> <laughs> but, but You're maybe. right. You're right. I had to take a minute to think about that one, especially after the horrible, horrible football game a month ago. Well, maybe that'll maybe maybe next year you'll you know that'll that'll change for you. <laughs> it's going to be in New Jersey, so it better change for me. It, they better okay. show up. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, thank you for joining me. It is always a pleasure to speak with you, and, and stay safe. Well, thanks so much for having me. You too, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Great, thank you. I'm David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Up next, my one-on-one interview with Jack Chitterelli, the front runner for the Republican gubernatorial nomination. No questions will be off the table. You won't want to miss it next on 77 WABC. I still love rock and roll. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. Time is running out, New Jersey. Open enrollment for health insurance ends January 31st. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to compare plans and see if you qualify for financial help. Our local experts can guide you through the enrollment process. This is your chance to find quality, affordable health insurance you can count on. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to get started before it's too late. You must enroll by January 31st for health coverage. Don't delay. Enroll today. Pravda Records presents The Lilacs with their first new recording in 25 years. The Lilacs and Door. Four blockbuster hits. Monica. Monica, where are you? Monica. Blue Spark. Get the Lilacs and Door on all streaming platforms and wherever CDs are sold. Pure Chicago Power Pop. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. Jack Chitterell is a former state assemblyman, now the presumptive Republican nominee for governor of New Jersey. He'll likely face the incumbent Phil Murphy in the general election. Mr. Chitterelli, how are you? Very well, David. Good to be with you, and thanks for having me back once again. It's, it's, I'm honored to have you on. Uh, I want to recap for you just quickly what happened to you in the last two weeks. You'd been expecting a, a, a real contested fight for the Republican nomination. Now that's that's not the case. Your your main opponent dropped out of the race. Republicans in New Jersey have largely united behind you as their nominee. And I'll, I'll play Karnak for a moment. Uh, you're going to tell me, I think, that, that you're taking nothing for granted, that you're still taking the primary seriously? Oh, yes. I, I take nothing for granted. I'm one of those people that always plays like I'm 10 points down with two minutes to go. But David, listen, I was on the campaign trail unofficially in all of 2018 and 19. I declared in January 2020. Uh, got in for a number of reasons, and we could talk about that, but I was confident we were going to win the primary uh, because things have worked out the way they have, which was part of the plan. Um, I'm very, very happy for New Jersey Republicans, and I'm excited for New Jerseyans. We now have a 10-month one-on-one Jack Cittarelli versus Phil Murphy. And, and I want to talk to you about Phil Murphy, but first I want to ask you about Donald Trump. The the House voted to impeach uh, the, the now former president. Should the U.S. Senate vote to convict him? Uh, I, we uh, use impeachment to get rid of a, a president, uh, get a president out of office, David. Um, the president is now out of office. I don't know why we need to go down this road. I think it's going to divide an already divided nation all the more. I think it can cause more unrest. And when there's this kind of unrest, uh, there can also be violence. Um, so I just don't think this is the path to go. I, I wish the new administration would take a leadership role here and speak out against it. And um, I, I just think we should try to heal the nation and bring the nation together. This isn't how to do it. A Quinnipiac poll came out this week. 67% of Republicans said Joe Biden's election wasn't legitimate. 69% uh, said they thought that the president, uh, the former president, should play a prominent role in the Republican Party. Uh, is that consistent with your way of thinking? A great many Republicans are very, very loyal to President Trump. His policies worked over the course of the four years, and the loss is just very, very hard to take. And so I think that's why a great many people don't want to believe in, in the election system. Uh, Joe Biden is our, our, our president, and um, he was elected uh, fairly and squarely. And, uh, Mr. Chitterell, you've been, you've been highly critical of Governor Phil Murphy. Why doesn't the governor merit re-election? Uh, I don't believe he merits re-election because he doesn't understand New Jersey. He, he wasn't born here. He wasn't raised here. Never went to school here, never worked here, never owned a business here. Um, I don't think he deserves to be reelected because any governor in New Jersey that says, if taxes are your issue, we're probably not your state, uh, doesn't deserve to be governor. Any governor of New Jersey who says he wants to make New Jersey the California of the East Coast doesn't deserve to be our governor. And I think any governor that takes away our right to assemble, our right to engage in commerce, and our right to worship, and then goes on TV and says, the Bill of Rights, that's above my pay grade, it's an embarrassment. I think he's out of touch. I just don't think he's right for New Jersey. We are not a progressive state. We are a fiscally conservative, socially moderate state. And that's the whole point of this campaign, to draw this kind of compare and contrast. And I see Republicans doing very well this November. I, I'm speaking with Jack Cittarelli, candidate for governor of New Jersey. And, and Assemblyman, the governor said yesterday that he has built or the state has built an infrastructure to vaccinate everyone worse, once the vaccines are available. What's your confidence level in that? 
It's not high, David. Uh, this governor's policies have killed seniors and veterans in our nursing homes. His policies have shut down three out of ten businesses with many more to come. His policies have kept our students out of school, and his policies have really botched the rollout. If he understood New Jersey, he would understand the role that county government plays our various offices of emergency management within those county governments. My job as governor would be to secure the vaccine, and then I would give it to the county governments, let their offices of emergency management work in partnership with a local hospital and health system organizations like the VNA, and let them handle it. Get the hell out of the way. Uh, There isn't anything this administration has done well. Look at motor vehicles. Look at unemployment uh, up and down the line. So, again, my job as governor would be to secure as many vaccines as possible, give it to the county governments. Their offices of emergency management are the ones that that respond to natural disasters, and there's a disaster aspect to this pandemic. Get the state the hell out of the way and let the county governments do it. And Governor Murphy was on this show last week. I'm I'm sure you heard him. And, and by the way, the right answer would be to say, yes, you did hear it. You did listen. Uh, But – I told him I thought he was in a good position to win re-election unless, come November, New Jerseyans are dissatisfied with the state's recovery from the pandemic uh, and, and unless they see improvements in, in uh, New Jersey transit and veterans' homes at the Motor Vehicle Agency that you and I have talked about before. Can, can you move Democrats and unaffiliated voters in, a, in what is clearly a blue state into the Cittarelli column? Well, we're really not a blue state, Dave, when it comes to gubernatorial elections. You know that. We're kind of a purple state that tints red. That's because the majority, quote-unquote, party in the state are the 2.4 million unaffiliated independent voters that lean right. And I know you're also a very good student of political history here in New Jersey. In 40-plus years, no incumbent Democratic governor has been reelected. And I see Murphy making the same mistakes that Jim Florio Jim McGreevy and John Corzine made. And every one of our Republican governors has been a two-termer. We've actually controlled the executive branch more than Democrats over the past uh, four decades. So, But listen, I'm not just going for the governorship. I'm asking the people in Jersey to also give me a Republican majority. Just give us a chance. The Democrats have controlled the legislature for more than two decades. Do you think things are great here in New Jersey? We all love New Jersey, but we all know this state is broken. I'm an NBA CPA, two-time business owner, and David... I've won seven elections in this state. I term limited myself each time, but those seven elections, two at the municipal level, two at the county, county field level, and three in the state legislature, six of the seven times in races where Democrats outnumber Republicans, sometimes significantly. I'm speaking to Jack Cittarelli, candidate for governor of New Jersey. And, and uh, Mr. Cittarelli, the, this week marked the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, uh, the last Republican governor cut funding for Planned Parenthood. Governor Murphy restored it. Is funding for family uh, planning services safe in a Cittarelli administration? I'm all for women's health. I'm all for everyone's health, uh, David. I I don't believe that uh, tax dollars should be used for uh, abortions or for agencies that necessarily advocate for abortions. If that's the case, then we should also be funding those nonprofits out there that help women with unwanted, unnecessary pregnancies. So let's let's be fair about the funding, but I've never been one that supported taxpayer dollars being used for abortion or or organizations that advocate for abortion. So what about pending legislation uh, that was was introduced by Senator Weinberg to protect legal abortion in New Jersey, just in case the Supreme Court overturns Roe? Uh, would you would you sign a bill like that? I would not. That bill goes way too far. I mean, we're talking about in that bill abortions that could take place in months seven, eight and nine. 
Come on now. Nobody believes in that, no matter where they are in the political spectrum. So, uh, no, that's not the kind of bill that I would ever sign. And, uh, Assemblyman, you've... You've talked in the past about cutting spending, cutting taxes. Uh, you know, every Republican candidate promises to do that. What's your confidence level that you can get that done? Well, first of all, as an MBA CPA and a person that served as a CEO of a company, I, I know how to cut expenses when need be, and we certainly need to do that in state government. I believe state government is bloated with 65,000 employees, David. Uh, I don't celebrate putting NBA on the unemployment line, but I'm telling you we could have immediate cuts of 5 to 10%. That's three to 6,000 workers. And if the reforms I have in mind for the tax code expand the economy, the private sector will be able to absorb those jobs. I think we also need to do more reforms when it comes to public workers' benefits, particularly for new hires. So that's another way that we can save money. And the third way that we can save money is if my changes, my reforms for the economy are as dynamic as they think they are, we'll have less people on the Medicaid rolls. What a lot of people don't know is when you add in the federal match, the largest single expense line in our state budget is Medicaid. It's $15 billion. That's health care for the poor. Let's get those people in good-paying jobs Let's get them off the Medicaid rolls, and we can save a lot of money. So those are three ways right out of the gate that we can save significant dollars and reduce spending in Trenton. And you talk about getting people back to work. Uh, you know, I think everybody would like them to be high-paying wages, but uh, New Jersey's on a path now to get to a $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, would you... Would you stop that? Would you stop the road to a $15 minimum wage? I would stop that, David. The reason I voted no on that legislation, the reason I voted no on the gas tax legislation, is I don't think there should be automatic increases in there. I think it's something a legislature should revisit as need be every three to five years. Take a perfect example of that minimum wage bill that was passed back when. Whoever the hell knew there would be a thing like a pandemic like this? That should never have gone through to increase wages on January 1st, not with what mom-and-pop shops are up against on Main Street. I mean, talk about rubbing salt into the wound. So I'm all for job growth and I'm all for wage growth, but not forced upon our economy like this, particularly an economy like New Jersey, which is very dependent on small businesses, mom-and-pop shops on Main Street. So... Listen, the best way to wage, uh, raise people's wages is with a, a, a really a propelled economy. And we can do that in New Jersey with some significant changes to the tax code. And when that one day when you have time, I'd love to come back on and talk about all the changes I have in mind. Okay. And, 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 and that offer is accepted, absolutely, positively. But Governor Murphy's on TV all the time, right? He's on cable, he's on network, his press conferences get a huge audience. And, and I don't want to cause you any trouble by asking this, but the New Jersey media, except for the New Jersey Globe, of course, is barely covering this race, barely covering what your proposals are. Does it does it concern you that the lack of interest in this race by the, the old media will make it tougher, more expensive for you to reach voters? Well, my job is to make sure that there isn't a lack of interest. My job is to reach all voters. And, David, that's one of the reasons why I was on the campaign trail in all of 2018 and 19 and why I declared so early. And, you know, I caught a lot of criticism from, from some for declaring so early, including from some Republicans. But anybody who's run for governor knows that this is the largest small state in the union. But I've given myself enough runway. And because of the effort of my, my, my candidacy, my team, uh, we are now uh, the presumptive nominee. It's a 10-month one-on-one with Phil Murphy. There's more than enough time to get the attention of New Jersey voters and for me to win this election, and I'm confident we will. 
I'm speaking to Jack Cittarelli, Republican candidate for governor, uh, and and thank you, uh, Assemblyman. You'll, you said you'll stay on with me. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, you've been Please don't go anywhere. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Time is running out, New Jersey. Open enrollment for health insurance ends January 31st. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to compare plans and see if you qualify for financial help. Our local experts can guide you through the enrollment process. This is your chance to find quality, affordable health insurance you can count on. Visit getcovered.nj.gov to get started before it's too late. You must enroll by January 31st for health coverage. Don't delay. Enroll today. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. I'm back with Jack Cittarelli, the Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey. Uh, Assemblyman, uh, you know I don't take sides. It's not my job, but but I'm going to deviate on one issue. Uh, You and I, I think, are both Yankee fans. And Governor Murphy roots for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, is that something that New Jersey can forgive him for? Uh, I don't think so, and we're not going to let New Jerseyans uh, forget it. So, uh, listen, it's just one of the very ways that he's so very different in, in a very non-Jersey way. I remember pre-pandemic there was a nonprofit 5K he showed up to, and kudos to him for supporting the nonprofit by running in the 5K. But he showed up in a pair of sweatpants that prominently featured the name of the town in Massachusetts where he grew up. Uh, We've got 565 towns here in New Jersey to celebrate. Why is he wearing a pair of sweatpants that features Needham, Massachusetts on it? This is uh, this may be the first campaign where sweatpants will become an issue. So, <laughs> uh, I want to ask this: a, a big part of governing in New Jersey is an ability to work with legislators on the other side. Uh, you, you may, you may, and I may disagree with with where the twenty twenty one election will end up, but I, I think. If, if Senate President Steve Sweeney and Craig Coughlin retain their majorities, they'll lead the legislature at least through your midterm. Uh, how will you work with them to advance your agenda? One of the things, uh, one of the reasons why I was elected six or seven times in races here in New Jersey, David, uh, again, in races where Democrats outnumber Republicans, is because, listen, I'm a fierce competitor, and we're going to go at it up until Election Day, but I'm also one of these guys that the day after Election Day, it's about governance. And that means we have an obligation to work with our fellow elected officials. The, the citizens of this state, um, in, in their districts, voted them in. I've got an obligation to work with them. Craig Coughlin was my chair when I served on uh, banking and insurance in the Assembly. Uh, I've gotten to know Steve Sweeney very, very well over the years. I have, I believe, a great relationship with both. But make, make no mistake, this is a competition. And as the Republican nominee, my job is to advocate for my 40 Republican Senate candidates and my 80 Republican Assembly candidates. And I'm asking the people of New Jersey, if you like what you hear and see out of Cedarelli, don't bother voting for me unless you're also voting for my Republican colleagues, all 120 that are running for the state legislature. Just give us a chance. And you said uh, 
last summer that Governor Murphy should fire Sue Fulton as head of the State Motor Vehicle Agency. Uh, have things gotten any better, or, or should should uh, should uh, Administrator Fulton still be fired? Uh, listen, I, I don't think she's the right person for the job. I felt then that she should be let go. Um, and, and again, I, I feel the same way right now. I mean, what you've seen from this administration, we've seen corruption. Uh, we saw that with the Al Alvarez case. We, we've seen scandal between Al Alvarez and, and Delgado Polanco, who's the former state committee chair for the Democratic Party that Murphy put in to run the School Development Authority. And we've seen administrative incompetence through and through at motor vehicles and uh, with unemployment and now with the rollout of the vaccine. I mean, we even missed the deadline uh, to get our residents in nursing homes vaccinated as soon as we possibly could. And, and, and talk about administrative incompetence. Why, if we only have received 600,000 doses of the vaccine from the federal government, why would Murphy change the eligibility criteria to open it up to 4 million New Jerseyans, including anyone who smokes? I, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. He's created a panic that has caused systems to crash and lines, endless lines, for people that can't get vaccinated. So I, I just don't understand the approach of this administration. They seem in over their head, David. So in, in, New Jersey passed a referendum three months ago, to, three months, three months ago, to legalize adult-use recreational marijuana. It passed by a two-to-one margin, but the law to implement it still isn't done. What's, what's your plan? Well, listen, everyone knew that that was going to pass. They had months to prepare draft legislation on how to regulate the industry. I didn't support the referendum. I don't support the legalization of marijuana. I support the decriminalization of marijuana. That's how we achieve social justice. You don't need to legalize recreational marijuana to achieve social justice. But I think it's an embarrassment that this Democratic majority, after they asked the people to speak, the people have spoken, and three months later they still can't get their act together on how to regulate the industry. And there, there has been a call, uh, Assemblyman Chitterelli, for, for a special prosecutor. Some, some Republicans have called for it uh, to look at the deaths in nursing homes during the pandemic, specifically veterans' homes. Should there be a special prosecutor? Is there a need for that? I believe there should be, because the concern is now under the Biden administration that the Department of Justice investigation, which was announced months ago, will, will not go on. So I don't think there's any wrong with investigation. We know what took place, or at least we all believe what took place, uh, that led to the deaths of veterans and um, and um, our seniors in our nursing homes, which is terribly sad. New Jersey leads the nation in per capita deaths from the virus, and it's because of what happened in the nursing home, which I think is a crime. So, yes, let's have the investigation. Okay, thank you. Gubernatorial candidate Jack Cittarelli, thanks so much for coming on today. We will definitely do this again soon. And I look th- forward to it, David. It'll be great. Say, there's few journalists that say Cittarelli as well as you do. Thank you very much. It's a Jersey thing. This is David Wildstein. You've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. 
interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. Bookandfilmglobe.com.